with me and turn to John chapter number one this morning. And we are in the last message in John one. We've spent the last several weeks and this is our fourth message from this chapter. And we will conclude this series this morning. John chapter one and our theme verse is number 14. So John one and verse 14. Why don't we read this together? Out loud, if you would begin with me, John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of course, we're focusing in on that statement there, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Now, if you remember, and I just gave you a quick recap in your notes this morning, Um, But if you remember, we started by just thinking about what the glory is. What does it mean to behold his glory? We said that glory is something that is better experienced than explained. And as we think about the glory of Jesus, we think about the wonder and the awe of God with us. And so we we just started off by thinking about just understanding that that Jesus is glory and he is all-glorious. And then we looked at the glory of his love, then the glory of his grace last week. Well, this morning, I want to notice something else here in John chapter 1, and particularly someone else. We're going to talk about the witness or the glory of the story, because you and I are called to go out of here as witnesses of the story of Jesus Christ. You believe that this morning? that there's no greater honor, there's no greater joy than to devote our lives to the purpose of witnessing the glory of Jesus. So let's introduce a very interesting character in verse number 15. Look down to verse number 15, and it begins with a new name, and the name is, what does it say? John. It's John in verse number 15. Now, it's not John who wrote this epistle, It's another John, and he has a a little explanatory note after his name. In case you were wondering which John it is, it is John the the Baptist. I had a friend that referred to himself as John a Baptist, but this is John the Baptist. Some of you appreciated that more than others. So John the Baptist, and he's the one who came before, he came before Jesus, Um, to be a witness. And it says in John 1.15, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Interesting enough, if you look at that verse, and this isn't really the thrust of the message, but when he says he is preferred before me, for he was before me, Who was older, John or Jesus? John was older in a physical sense. But as we've already looked at in the previous weeks, we know that what John knew is what we know, and that is that Jesus is without beginning or without end. Before John was, in fact, before Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, before Moses, before anyone was, there was Jesus, and there is Jesus. And John is the witness. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we study the scriptures. Please open our hearts and our minds. Help us to be focused and attentive to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So if you were alive in the days of John the Baptist and you were traveling through the countryside, you would have heard about this guy. Now, some of the kids are here this morning. Maybe you guys can help me out. So maybe Nehemiah, Jethro, you guys might be able to help me out a little bit this morning. You think so? You look real nervous. It's, it's be pretty easy. Do you know about John the Baptist? You heard of him before. So let me ask you this. What if you if you met him? What would he look like? Any idea? Oh, I like that. He would look rugged. He certainly wouldn't be wearing a suit or a tie or anything like that. He would look rugged. And then you might be a little surprised at the things that he ate. Any of you young ladies can help us out? Oh, now Jethro, really? (laughs) Now he's right. He's got this one down. But we're going to go to your sister, Jaden. What's that? Honey. Oh, honey. But that wasn't the, the part that I was... No, no, Jet, the honey is 100% correct. But what are you going to say, Jet? Locust. Locust. <laughs> Big, giant, crunchy bugs. That was this guy, John the Baptist. And he... That he now, there's something else about John. He was a Nazarite. He's a Nazarite. Which means not only did he not eat grapes or drink wine, but his, there was something else about his being a Nazarite. There's something else about his physical appearance. When you saw John, you would see an awful lot of, I heard somebody say it, you're a little, an awful lot of what? Hair. hair. I mean, he never cut his hair. It just grew and grew and grew. And he never shaved his beard. It just grew and grew and grew. That was a vow. When he was born, his parents dedicated him to the Lord, and he was a Nazarite. So you got to understand, this guy was a little bit non-traditional, you might say. And so there he is with his big beard and his flowing hair, living out in the wilderness, eating big giant bugs and honey. This is the guy, you know, you couldn't miss him. And then his clothes. He didn't wear regular fabric. What did he wear? Go ahead. Camel's hair. He wore camel's hair clothing. This is the guy we're talking about, John the Baptist. Now, why was he, why did he do this? Why was he, why did he have, because he was called of God to be the one. God's plan for John was that everyone would notice him. That every, that he would be unmistakable because he had a special calling, and that was to be a witness of the coming Messiah. That's John. Now, fortunately, you and I are not called to the same life of strangeness in the same way. However, we identify with John because John is right in the middle. John the Baptist is right in the middle of a long line of witnesses. A long line. It didn't start with John, and it doesn't end with John. Because the witness of Jesus begins way back in the book of Genesis. And the witness of Jesus goes all through the Old Testament. Then John is smack dab in the middle. And then it continues with the apostles. And it goes into the very day in which we live. And we, the church, Jesus left us. And he says, and you shall be my what? Witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. So John was the torchbearer. John was the... John is the example. He represents a long line 
of witnesses. And what do we witness? What do we talk about? We talk about the glory of the story, the wonder of the miracle that Jesus came, that he is the redeemer, that he is the savior. In fact, it's the word gospel that means what? You can say it with me this morning. Gospel means what? Good news. It's great news. It's wonderful news. And let's look at John's gospel here and let's look at John the Baptist and see the glory of the story. First thing I want you to notice about this story, the story of Jesus that John talked about, the story of Jesus that we talk about, it's a story of beauty and joy. It's a story of beauty and joy. Do you think that Christians sometimes forget that? That the gospel is good news? that the gospel is something to be joyful about? I, I do. I mean, I've met Christians that some Christians, they just seem mad all the time. Have you ever met some mad all the time Christians? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they, they view it as their mission in life to remind the world how bad things are. And they will say, they will, and it doesn't matter what happens. It isn't, I was chatting with somebody recently, and the very, I hadn't seen him in a while, and the very first thing they wanted to tell me was, it, it wasn't, hey, how's it going? It's, the world's in pretty bad shape. Like, okay, the world's been in bad shape. So can you help me out with that ring a little bit, Aaron? It's, um, the world's been in, we're having, the world's been, the world's been, been, gone. All right, we're good. The world's been in bad shape for 6,000 years but it's the message of the gospel that's good news. Now that doesn't mean, listen, even the message, think about this, even the message that all of us are sinners sounds like bad news, right? But it's not, it's good news. You say, well, how can that be good news? Because if, you go, if, you, if you've got something wrong with you, you want the doctor to tell you the truth, especially if he has a remedy for you, right? Not just, you don't want a message that just says, you know, you've got, some, you've got some tumor inside of you and you don't want to go to the doctor and he'd just say, oh, don't worry about it. I'm sure it'll work itself out. That might be news that I want to hear at the time, but is that good news? No. The good news would be, hey, you've got something that's going to kill you. Whoa. But there's an answer. There's hope. There's a solution. So as Christians, we, we have to remember that the gospel, it's good news. It's a story of beauty and joy. In fact, John the Baptist, most people think about John the Baptist as you know yelling at the Pharisees, calling the Pharisees names and going to see Herod. Some of you know the Bible stories. And we get this, this idea that John the Baptist's ministry was all fire and brimstone and damnation. Now, was that a part of John's preaching? Yeah, absolutely it was. He wasn't afraid to call sin what it was. But did you know that the story even of John the Baptist, that his life began with incredible joy? That the, he was commissioned to bring a message of incredible joy? In fact, it's part of the Christmas story. And it, you can either turn there or just listen along as I'm going to point out a few things in Luke chapter 1. But John the Baptist, his life began with two really old people. I mean, they were full of wrinkles, and they had gray hair, and they kind of hobbled around a little bit because they were old. And one guy's name, the old man, was Zacharias. And his old lady was <laughs> Elizabeth. Some of you are cringing at me right there. You'll get over it. All right. So 
There's Zacharias and Elizabeth. They're old. I mean, real old. And one day, as the priest Zacharias is going into the temple to do, to, to do his duty, that, he, that it came up, it was his turn. He was in a family of priests. It was his turn to do this. And he went in and something unexpected happened and boom, an angel appeared to him. Now, at first he's afraid, but the angel says to him, Zacharias, yes, you're going to have a son. Now, Zacharias is just blown away. He's like, how is this going to happen? My wife and we are just old. This can't happen. And, it, the, and you can read the whole story, maybe this afternoon, go home and read it. But the angel explains to them that, to him, that it's going to be a miracle. And it says this in Luke 1 and verse number 14, this is what the angel says. First, he says, Elizabeth's going to give you a son. And then he says, and thou shalt have what? Joy and gladness. And many shall what? Rejoice. This is talking about John the Baptist coming. That it's going to be joy and gladness. Well, he's kind of surprised. There's some other interesting events that happen, but now the news gets to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth finds out that this is going to happen, and I don't know, and then she's with child. And in verse number 24, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, <laughs> saying... Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Now, she's not doing a little giddy dance, you know. She's not that kind of excitement, but there's a quiet, peaceful joy in her heart that says, look what God has done for me. I'm just, I'm walking us through this because the story begins with so much joy. It's all good news. It's good news. Well, in the meantime, in the meantime, the angel Gabriel goes on another mission, and Elizabeth's over here, five months with child, and over here's the young lady, Mary. And the angel appears to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have the baby Jesus. And then your cousin Elizabeth is going to have a baby. By now, Mary's just, you know, okay, miracle, miracle, sure, <laughs> all right. And so now Mary goes to live with Elizabeth for a little while, and there's another really cool thing that happens. So here's Elizabeth, old lady with a big belly with baby about to come. Virgin, who's never been with a man, who now has the baby Jesus. Now these two women, they're cousins, they meet each other, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the baby John leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. There's joy in Elizabeth's heart. There's joy and leaping in the little baby John inside Elizabeth's womb. Joy. John's witness was established in joy, and now it all finishes when John is born. John the Baptist is born, and we come to his dad wrote a song. It was a prophecy. And in this prophecy, to dedicate his child to the Lord, in Luke 1 and verse number 68, 
it says, this is Zacharias prophesying on his child, Luke 1.68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. We skip down to verse number 76. And he looks at that little baby. I can imagine him holding that little baby, John. And with a smile on his face, he says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Boy, a lot of good news in the story of John the Baptist, wouldn't you say? Listen, folks, our the, the glory of the story is that it is a story of joy. And you and I ought to be a joyful group of witnesses if, if we know Jesus, if Jesus has truly come, if God is truly among men, how much better could things get? Well, you know, it's going to get worse and worse until the Lord returns. Yeah, in the world, but not for us. We're, 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 we're going to grow in greater glory and greater glory until... That doesn't mean that life is going to be smooth sailing, but the fact is that we have the peace of God with us. We have the joy of God with us. It is good news. Our witness should be joyful. In fact, it's commanded to be joyful. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? Ready? What's it, what is written? How, how what? How beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring, what is it? Yeah, glad tidings of what? Good things. You know, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it. How many of you want to see your coworkers, your friends, your family that don't know Christ, you want to see them come to know Christ as, as their Savior, Right? We sometimes get so focused on those who reject that we forget that Jesus says, lift up your eyes, the fields are white unto harvest. That there are people ready to hear the message. Of course, there'll be some, and we'll see it in a minute, there'll be some that reject and some that refuse and some that mock, but it's good news, it's glad tidings. And it was, this was prophesied, you'll notice it said in Romans that as it is written in Isaiah 52, 7, the message of, from the Old Testament prophet says the same thing, Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, um, that publisheth salvation, thus sa that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. It's a story of beauty and joy. John witnessed that story. We are witnesses of that story. Secondly, it's a story of awakening. Let's go back to our main passage here, and we'll spend the rest of our time here. Back in John chapter 1, it's a story of awakening. 
notice something. Let's get back. So we, just to remember where we were, in verse 15, we, were in, we looked at John, how John bare witness. He was the witness. Now look back at verse number 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the what? Light. Now, the light of Jesus has already been introduced, and now it's talking about that John bears witness of the light. To bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And we think about something this morning that should be a great relief to all of us as we seek to be joyful witnesses. The light goes before us. The light goes before us. Did you notice what it said, it said there? Well, a few things. You notice that, that John was not the light. He simply was bearing witness of the light. And now look at verse number 9. That was the true light which lighteth who? Who? Every man that cometh into the world. Now, there are some people that will tell you, well, you know, there are only certain people there are only certain people that have an opportunity. There are only certain people that, the Bible says that the light of Jesus lights who? Every man. So you can be confident. Listen to this. You can be confident when you have a joyful, exuberant witness. When you say to a friend, a coworker, I'm a Christian. Jesus made a difference in my life. Have you considered Christ? You can be confident that it is not simply your words, but there is a supernatural shining of light on their heart. That means that before you even open your mouth, who is already speaking? The Holy Spirit. God is. The light is there. Now, it's true that there are some who, for whatever reason, God in his providence has allowed some people to have more light. It's, it, from our viewpoint, it seems like some people see more light, some people have less. But the point is this, when you give the gospel to someone, when you give the good news to someone, it's not about you. It's not about how well you can explain it. It's not about how good your words are or how convincing your arguments are. It's about just opening your mouth with joy and trusting that the light of Jesus Christ goes before you. He lights every man that comes into the world. The light goes before us. Now, some will remain in darkness, even though they, they've received some measure of light in their life. And we could unpack the, the doctrine behind this, but we'll not do that this morning. But look at what it says as we go on to verse number 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. We spoke about this a little bit on Christmas Eve, that there are some that they, they, the light shines in their light, life, but they choose to ignore. Also in verse number 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So it's clear that the light shines, we speak with joy and gladness, but there are some who will remain in darkness, but some will be awakened by the light. 
Some will be awakened by the light. In verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. A few things we could emphasize in this verse, and we emphasized the believing part on Friday night, but I want to emphasize the middle of the verse right now. As many as received him, to them gave he, what's it say? Power. Power. Who is it? The power to become the sons of God. Who is it that awakens the heart of the unbeliever? Yeah, it's God. He gives them that power. Now it comes through believing. So so what happens? The light shines. The heart is receptive in faith. And God creates a new child in his family. That's how it works. It's not us. Again, I, I just think, and I've, I've dealt with this in my own life, and, and we have this desire to witness. We have this desire to see people saved, and, and we know that Jesus can make a difference. And sometimes we get so focused on all of the arguments and all of the, well, we've got to do it just the right way and just the right opportunity and look for this or that. The fact is it's very simple. We open our mouths with joy, and the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He does the work. He does the, the, Paul explained it this way. Some people, they plant a little seed. And some people come along and with their joyful witness, they splash a little water on the seed. And then somebody comes along with their joyful witness and there's a harvest. That soul is ready. But either way, it's God who does the work. The story of Jesus, the gospel story, it's a beautiful and joyful story, and it's a story of powerful awakening, that people go from darkness to light, not because of us. We just open our mouths because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. There's some people that get that all mixed up and they focus on, uh, well, I'll move on from that. The story of beauty and joy, it's a story of awakening. Now notice this, there's a third thing. It's a story of humility. This is important because sometimes the gospel story is, the gospel message is hindered because of the arrogance of the messenger. Have you ever seen that happen? I sure have. That, and, and I've been that way at times in my life, that we come with a, we, we, we come with a self-righteous attitude and people can't even hear the words that we say. John's not like that at all. In fact, despite the fact that John is so powerful of a preacher, despite the fact that he's hard-hitting, he's direct, he has great humility, he reminds us that we are just witnesses. We saw it when we read verse 15. Look at it again. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, this was he of whom I spake. Well, what did you say? What was it? How did you describe Jesus? He that cometh after me is what? Preferred before me. Preferred before me. We have recorded elsewhere John saying this, speaking of Jesus. There's another reference, another passage where John says regarding Jesus, 
he must increase and I must decrease. Boy, John embodied the humble heart, the humble heart of a true witness. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. We are just the witnesses. It's all about the message, not the messenger. It's all about the message, not the messenger. Look at verse number 19. There's this interesting, this interesting controversy that, that rises into the story. In verse 19, and this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? Just who are you, John? Who are you? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. I mean, basically they said this, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? John has this opportunity to be like, hmm, boy, they really think I'm something. And immediately he says, no, I am not the Christ. Not me. Well, they ask him in verse 21, well, then who are you? Maybe you're Elijah. No. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. John's really making it hard for them, right? <laughs> it's like, well, are you the, nope, guess again. Well, nope, guess again. And now verse 22, then said they unto him, well, who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What, what sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. He says, I'm, I'm the one that was prophesied. I'm the one that you know would come before the Messiah. It's not about the messenger. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about even our church. It's about who we lift up. It's about who we talk about. It's about who we make much of. And we, we must truly decrease in order that Jesus may have first place, that he may have the preeminence in our lives. Well, it goes on. Look at verse 24. And they which were sent of the Pharisees, and they, they, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said, well, why are you baptizing people? So John's got this method that he's been called to. Well, because I'm John the Baptist. That's why I baptize. Well, why do you bat why are you baptizing? They're trying to focus. In, in fact, throughout John and his ministry, when Jesus comes, they would try to set up this controversy between John and Jesus. Well, John's baptizing. John's servants are fasting. Jesus, why they try to set up this, this controversy, but John quickly moves us away from the method and he focuses us back on the mission, back on the message. So they said, why do you baptize? If thou be not that Christ, nor liest neither that prophet. John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who's coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Hmm. He it is who's coming after me is preferred before me. Elsewhere, John would say this. We have another reference to explain this. John would say, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He says, I, I'm just doing what God's called me to do. 
I'm fulfilling the ministry that God has called me to do. You want to, you want to focus on my baptism? You want to focus on my method? Fine. Let me point you to Christ. Let me tell you about the one who's coming, whose method and ministry will be far greater than mine. It's not about us and what we do. And, and I know that's not the main thrust of this passage, but it did help me. It, it just sparked a thought in my heart that says this. It's the same for us as believers. For, for millennia, Christians have debated, well, just how should we share the gospel? You know, we should, we should do it this way. We should do it that way. Some people say, well, we should invite the people to church. No, we should go out and meet the people. Some people say, well, we should pass out tracts. Some people say, no, we should build relationships. How many of you are familiar with all those kind of discussions and debates and arguments and, and I think you should do it this way? Well, I think it was D.L. Moody, he says, who said, I prefer, somebody challenged him on why he did what he was doing, and he said, well, I prefer my method of doing it rather than your method of not doing it. It's irrelevant. The point is, we speak the gospel. I hear, I, I know some people that will say, well, you know, your church should evangelize this way. Your church should do this. You know what? God calls each person to have the impact that they are able to have in the place where they are. And I've been encouraged over the last year to hear stories from different people in our church that have talked about people that they work with or people that they ran into or people they know, they've known from their past and how they were able to share the gospel with people. So what's the answer? Should we, should we reach out this way or that way? And the answer to all of it is yes. Yes, all of the above. Actually, I thought about this. This is just a little practical thing. You know what the best method of evangelism is? The very best. It's this. Number one, get close to Jesus. Because the closer you are to Jesus, the more you'll desire to spread the good news. Jesus called disciples, and he spent most of his time with his disciples. Be a disciple, get close to Jesus. Are you ready for step number two? Get connected to the local church. This is God's plan, right? Get, you get your, your relationship with Jesus, right? You get your strength and your, and your sharpening from your dedicated relationship to your local church. And then thirdly, get around unbelieving people. You notice how all three of those components have to work in concert together? If you're not close to Jesus, then getting connected to your church, gonna, that's going to have problems in and of itself because you have unspiritual people all trying to get together. But if you start close to Jesus and then you get connected to the church, boy, there's strength, there's spiritual strength and encouragement that comes from that. But then some people stop there. And their church and their family just becomes an isolated community to itself. Then we have to do what Jesus did and get around the world, to be in the world, but not of the world. You'll be amazed. If, if we get close to Jesus, if we get close to one another as a church, and then if we get out among the world, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a lot of good news spread all over our community. There'll be a lot of good news. It's not all that complicated. And if you want to use one method and somebody else wants it, it it's irrelevant. Get close to Jesus, be involved in your church, and get out into your community and see God work.
with joy. It's a story of beauty and joy. It's a story of awakening. It's a story of humility. And then, of course, the best part is it's a story of forgiveness. Skip down now to verse number 29. Verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him. Now, John's ministry is going to continue beyond this point, but I think what we have recorded here is the high watermark of the ministry and the, the prophetic role of John the Baptist. This moment right here where John looks off in the distance and he's got his crowd around him and he's baptizing and, and people are listening to him speak and all of a sudden the commotion stops because in mid, I just imagine it, in mid-baptizing, it could be wrong, but I think, you know, there's one soaking wet person heading out, John's got another one ready to go under the water and everything stops. And everybody, what is he looking at? And John is looking off in the distance and he says, Behold, everybody in the crowd turns their heads, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And in just one phrase, John the Baptist defines the ministry of Jesus. He says, look, there's the Lamb. Look, there's the Lamb of God. I'm baptizing you with this water, but this can never take your sins away. There's the one. There is the one. He is the Lamb of God that can take away the sin of the whole world. It's a story of forgiveness. The Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice for sin, that the purpose of the Lamb, that all of the, the Jewish people there would have understood completely, the purpose of the Lamb was not to, to look cute and cuddly and be a sort of family pet. The purpose of the Lamb was to die the purpose of the lamb was for the blood to be shed. The purpose of the lamb was the forgiveness of sins. And for thousands of years, they had sacrificed lamb after lamb after lamb to, to try to atone for their sin. But ultimately, it would be Jesus who would come, who would give his life as the spotless lamb of God. And he says, this is who brings forgiveness. And to a group of people who were focused on their law, they were focused on their religion. They were focused on all of these things to try to make up for their sinfulness. He says, just look to Jesus for forgiveness. The Lamb of God, forgiveness. So it's, joy, it's a joyful story. It's, it's an awakening story, story of humility, story of forgiveness. But how do we know it's true? How do we know it's true? Because there are many people that they'd say, boy, that sounds good. You mean all my sins can be forgiven? You mean there's hope? But that just sounds too good to be true. How do we know it's true? Well, look at what's recorded next. He says, this is the Lamb of God. And God wanted to make sure that all of the witnesses who were there, because remember, we're reading a historical record right now. When this was written, there were people who could give witness to the facts of what took place. God wanted to make sure that there was no doubt that what John said was true. So in verse 30, John ex ex explains, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. 
Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but, that, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, the same as he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that he is the Son of God. Now, you have to compare this to the other gospel accounts. Leave this, leave this verse up and think about this. I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. John says, I saw the Spirit like a dove. If you read the other accounts of that moment, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God, but there's another moment where Jesus is invited to come into the water. Or no, not invited. Jesus steps into the water. I'm sorry. He steps into the water and says, John, I want you to baptize me. What does John say? No way. You should baptize me. Jesus says, no. And everyone who was there witnessed, and there were three occasions where something like this happened, recorded before witnesses in the gospel. A dove descended on Jesus, and a voice said, this is my beloved son. And they heard the voice. Why? Trace this out all throughout the New Testament. You'll find all of the witnesses pointing to the historical details to prove that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. Because it does us no good. It does us no good to stand up and tell a wonderful story about forgiveness and love and acceptance if it's all make-believe. It does us no good. But the writers of scriptures always, through the Holy Spirit, draw us back into the historical narrative to remind us that these events were witnessed. In fact, it was a Roman soldier at the cross, a Roman soldier at the cross that said when he saw Jesus die and he saw the miracles, he said, truly, truly, this was what? The Son of God. That he is the Son of God. And that is what gives us our assurance. I don't have time this morning. If, if you're listening to this and you're skeptical and you're like, I don't know. I mean, this all, I'd like to believe this, but can I believe it? There is, there is page after page after page of historical evidence to validate all that we've seen here to say Jesus is the Son of God. And when John said this is the way of forgiveness, we can have the assurance that Jesus is who he said he was. So the application is twofold. If you're a Christian, rediscover the joy Rediscover the joy. Go back when you're done with your vacation and you go back to your workplace. Take some of the pressure off. That's helped me tremendously. To take some of the pressure off, oh, I've got to be a good witness. I've got to just, just be a joyful Christian and let people know what God has done for you and what he is doing for you. But if you're uncertain, if you'd say, Ethan, that, it sounds so good to be true. Remember what we said about the light? I believe that God's light is shining in your heart right now. The, the job of the Holy Spirit is to tell us, you know what, it's true. Yes, there's evidence. Yes, it's the, the, the scriptures show themselves to be true. 
But there's also the Holy Spirit that speaks to us personally and says He is the Son of God. You need Him. If there's never been a moment in your life that you have received Jesus, make today that day. Could we just bow our heads and close our eyes and come to just a quiet time of prayer at the end of the service? For the Christians, maybe just get the joy back. You've been called to herald good news. Pray this morning that God would just fill you with that joy. But then I want to just speak once more to those who might be unsure. If you're unsure, if you'd say, I I don't know if my sins are forgiven. I know about Jesus, but I'm not sure that He's my Savior. You can trust Him today. If you believe that He's the Son of God, if you believe that He died and rose again to give us eternal life, if you'll believe that, you can call out to Him today. The Bible says, Anyone, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In your heart, just pray something like this. Say, Dear Jesus, I do know that I'm a sinner, but I believe you died and rose again for me. I believe that you can forgive me. I ask you to save me right now. If you pray something like that and you'll mean it, if you surrender your life to Christ, just call on Him as your Savior. Make sure today in this quiet moment. Let's all pray together as the instruments play. Just have a quiet moment where we speak to the Lord. Lord, we thank you so much this morning for the wonderful glory of the gospel message. And we just pray that we would be a people that are just overcome with what you've done for us. I pray that we'd be just filled with joy, filled with anticipation for who we can share this message with. And I pray that as we we head into this new year, Lord, we we look forward to those who will come to faith through our witness. Help us to believe. Help us to to be bold and joyful. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.